0: Good day, fellow hoteliers, and welcome to episode 245 of the Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Pete DiMeo of Travel Boom, and today we're going to be diving in and sharing six simple tips that are going to make you a GA4 hero and be able to help your hotel grow and thrive with all the new data that it has to offer. But you don't want to hear me keep talking about it. You want to go ahead and get the show started. So here we go. We're back. So let's go ahead and set the stage. Back in July of this year, everybody realized that Google was super, super serious about switching to GA4 and killing our long and beloved friend, Universal Analytics. That happened in July. And then ever since then, everybody in the hotel space and the marketing world in general has been struggling to figure out exactly what GA4 can do, what it does differently, and how, as a hotelier, you can make the most of it. So We've got a lot to cover here. We have six simple tips to cover, but to do six tips, we need four team members. And that's why we have Alyssa back. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. So this is your second now or your third episode?
1: I lost count.
0: Let's see. There's
1: so many. You've been here forever.
0: (laughs) So it's definitely enough to fit on one hand. (laughs) Yes. So We also have... I
1: have on my fingers.
0: there, There you go. Right now you're holding a wine glass. So I guess you can only hold like one pinky up or something. Is that how that works?
1: Yeah, first episode we'll we'll call it. Yeah, first one didn't count. That's I don't true. Remember it? I blacked out.
0: <laughs> that was the bourbon episode. All right. So joining us also is longtime show participant Jeremy. Hey, buddy. Howdy. How are you doing?
2: Not bad. Good. So... Happy to be on the podcast again. You.
0: Yeah, you're 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 an all star. So glad to have you. So after the last episode, I had to turn your volume all the way up when I was doing the editing, so I need you to turn your organic volume up as well. It's
2: it's a feature (laughs) for me, not a bug. (laughs) I like it. You're just going to have to roll with it. Have you ever uh, asked your – do you have like Alexa or Google uh, Home? No, but I do have like a voice to search, you know, a remote. So yeah so but i don't know if that applies to what you're about to say so
0: here it's, it's it's pretty cool you can
2: if you whisper to alexa
0: she'll whisper back and it is the freakiest scariest thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> well she would yeah, she, she, she always you. sound that way if i was talking to if, her. if, if you, I you go you. You, alexa play such and such all of a sudden it will whisper it back to you and it will go into like whisper mode which is really weird
1: okay i have to test this tonight because i'm constantly yelling at her because she can't hear me
0: <laughs> well this is gonna help that so this
1: but she, if she can't, if she can hear a whisper, then she can clearly, clearly hear me from across the room. Yeah.
0: Maybe she's just ignoring you.
1: She's just being a dumb. Yeah. Bee.
0: <laughs> well, you know who's not a dumb bee?
1: It's the other guest. We have Connor. <laughs> oh, thank
0: Connor, you. Connor, It's your
1: first episode.
0: Yeah. Glad I'm not well, a dumb. I had bee. to find some kind of. I had to find a transition. Hey, I'm, that's a huge me
3: not being a dumb bee, I think that's a great t- transaction or transition.
0: There you go. Uh, so, we were going to put that on your business card, but instead we have uh, Analytics Guru on there. Oh, boy. So, that's why you're on the show today.
3: It's quite the bump up for the title. I like it.
0: It is. So We might put a slash and you can be both. A slasher so. parentheses. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> titles really don't mean anything. That's the truth. But uh, but yeah, so we got, got a big episode today. Connor, um, I know you've been doing a lot of work on this, and we're actually going to be diving into an article that was on Narrative.bi that talks about J four tips and tricks for marketers. And I thought it was interesting, not only because uh, it's J four tips, but the URL is marketing Google analytics for tips and tricks for marketers. But it's not four tips. It's actually six tips that they have and they have J four as a dash in it, which makes me crazy.
1: It's always reaching for a <laughs> I
0: am. Oh, I'm trying. So, but Hey, if, if you want that, if you want the link to the show notes, if you want the link to the narrative.bi article and really everything that we're talking about today, go over to travelboommarketing.com podcast and click on episode 245. And that's going to have everything that we're talking about today, as well as the specific tips that we have that kind of correspond to this article that we're, t- we're talking about today. And I'll, I'll say this, though, is now that we live in a world of GA4, it's very important that every hotelier and marketer in general lean in and make sure that they become the best GA4 marketer that they possibly can be. Because whether you like it or not, that is now our native analytics platform pretty much for everybody across the board. But before we get into that, we have a news item to take care of. I don't have to sing anymore, but maybe we can like,
2: do Breaking news.
0: So, all right. So who's got the news item today?
2: I'll roll with it. Um, so... Google has quietly, or they have said that they have quietly been increasing ad prices to meet revenue targets. Um, right now, Google is on trial for allegedly using underhand tactics to ensure it stays the world's leading search engine. And this is one of the quotes or one of the items that have come out during that trial. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So Anyway, if you guys want to read this, this article as well, it's on search engine land.
0: It came out on the 19th of September. We're recording this on the 2nd of October, so so about a week or so ago. And it's it's pretty crazy. So more or less what Google said was that they're going to increase their prices by about 5% for the auction platform that we all know as, as Google Ads. So whether there's almost no competition or a ton of competition, Google's just saying, you know what, as of you know X date, and we don't know what that date was in here, they're raising the prices. They're not going to tell anybody, they're just just doing it.
1: Yeah, and just imagine if you put it into perspective, 5% across the board with the number of users and the amount of money they're spending on the platform. It's wild.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, this article says that in 2020, search ads earned the company more than 100 billion dollars. Oh my gosh. Yeah, with your pinky with your pinky on your your mouth, 100 billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and if that snap of a finger, you can go ahead and add five percent to that total. It is some seriously real money that is pure profit from their perspective.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people saying, "Well, there's they've definitely been upping those auction prices a lot more than what they say, five to ten percent." That's actually a really good point. That, that's what we,
0: I guess, we are finding out in the discovery for this Justice Department case against Google. But it, it could easily be more than that. You know, we know Facebook ran into all kinds of trouble when we realized how many – I guess Facebook and Twitter were how many of the people on the platform weren't actually people or bots, which impacted their advertising revenues as well. So, so this will be a very interesting to wa- one to watch. Uh, you know, I think long-term, you know, this came out as part of that, that case, and the Justice Department is basically saying that Google has a monopoly on advertising – uh, Jeremy, I think you mentioned something around that's why Bing is not on iOS devices.
2: yeah, the, mainly because Google paid massive amounts of massive amounts of cash or money or whatever to Apple to make it the default engine um, on their iPhone products or just Apple related products at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just yeah, so they have a massive hand in you know an entire subset of device users as the default search engine.
0: Yeah. And I mean, really that is practically the definition of a monopoly is when you can just buy out your competition to suppress the market. That's more or less what you, what you get. So it's gonna be an interesting one to watch, read the article, like I said, search engine land.com, Google, Google quietly increasing ad price targets. And it's something we want to watch because if they get slapped down, I don't think people will stop using Google, but you might start seeing a larger search ecosystem where, you know, certain devices start going to to Bing or other platforms to to run ads on. So, so that's pretty interesting. All right, so that's going to take us into the main topic for today, which is six ways to make GA4 work for you. We kind of split this up, so we're each going to cover one of these six tips as well as kind of talk a little bit about what the article on narrative.bi had to say. <clears throat> Some of the, their, their content was was interesting, but what we want to do is take that and kind of Put it into a a hotelier's voice to understand how it actually makes sense. So we got six tips. We'll go ahead and kick off with number one. I guess this one's me also. I feel like I've been talking this whole show. There's three (laughs) other people that should be talking. Come on. All right, so anyway, filter. So here's the first thing you want to do. Once you get set up on GA4, you need to go ahead and filter out your internal traffic. Again, this is something that I think all analytics people already know how to do but if you're managing your own analytics for your property you could be wildly over reporting revenue and traffic and a lot of other data points because you're also factoring in every time you visit your website every time you do a test booking and you know the way I look at it is imagine if you have an agency and they're going in there doing test bookings throughout the week making sure that Tracking is working appropriately on desktop and mobile, making sure all the sources being attributed correctly for paid ads or social campaigns or whatever it might be. All of those things start to add up. So, you know, the smallest example is let's say an agency is doing one mobile and one desktop test per week on the booking engine. Well, that's eight extra bookings, countless hundreds or thousands of dollars in revenue being applied to your GA4 account. And it's throwing off your conversion rates overall because you have, in the case of Connor, who's our analytics expert, if he's going in there doing these tests now, I know, cause you're in Raleigh, right? Connor, uh,
3: Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte,
0: Charlotte. I'm sorry. So it, that means if I'm looking at the data in a vacuum and I don't realize that Connor's in Charlotte, I'm going to say, wow, look, there's this one dude in Charlotte that's booking a ton of vacations. That's great. I want to go ahead and amp up my geotargeting campaigns to that area because it seems like a hotbed of activity. So, The way you get around that is simply by filtering that data out. It's really easy to do in GA4. And I have the the specific instructions in the show notes at Travel Boom Marketing. But all you're going to do is first find your IP address. Easiest way to do that is go to whatismyip.com or just go to Google and type in what is my IP. And it's going to return that to you. So you copy that. You go to your admin settings in GA4. Click on settings, data stream, and then you select the stream that you want to edit. Typically, it's going to be web traffic. You're going to go ahead and go through a couple little steps. You have to hit show more. Then you click on define internal traffic. And then from there, you can paste in your IP address. Hit save, and then automatically the reports that you're getting are going to suppress your activity from your specific IP address from reports moving forward. Uh, the nice part about this is you don't necessarily just have to just do your IP address or a range of IPs that are, say, in your, in your office, but you can also set up multiple types of internal traffic. You may have, like I said, your, your internal front desk. You may have your agency that is out of another city, or you may even, for some reason, want to suppress internal guest traffic that may be coming in just to look at a counter event for that day.
1: Yeah, or just a Wi-Fi landing page. I don't think you touched on that it would be a huge one that would skew traffic if it was not excluded.
0: That's a great point. And I just Yeah, this it.
2: definitely seems like a super simple thing to do, but also seems like something that's so could be very easily overlooked when you're setting up a property in G A four or even analytics at all
0: yeah and, I, and and connor you could probably chime in as well as you know as you're setting up new new client reports is, is that something that you run into pretty often where you see just all data coming in from everywhere without any thought given
3: pretty much yeah and it's also doesn't help um say if you are setting up ga4 for the first time that it ga4 has a really nice and clean way it gives you set up instructions okay set up your data stream then the next step and the next step but the internal ip setup is hidden in a drop down menu at the bottom. So it's really easy to miss mm-hmm. if you're not really looking for it or searching around.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It took me a couple of times to actually find out where it was cuz you had to click on the little show more to get a bunch more options there. So if you haven't set up this in UA and then you went forward and set up your GA4 reporting as well, your data is going to be even more off, right? Because you didn't mm-hmm. filter that data in UA. Now you know about this handy dandy tip from today's podcast. So you set it up, you're going to see more of a, a variance between UA data versus GA4 data. But that's kind of the world we're living in with the, the big switch. So I think the, the best tip is to get comfortable being uncomfortable when it comes to GA4 and understand that, hey, there's new sets of data, there's new ways of looking at reporting. And this is something that you got to do if you want to make sure that your reports are accurate moving forward. So that is the very first tip we have for you. That's
2: number one. We can jump right over to number 2222222222. So the second tip would be customizing as much as you can um, within your GA4 property. Um, So basically that starts with creating custom events and conversions um, just to track those unique and most important customer interactions on your website. Um, So for a hotel, that would, you know, Easily, that would be room purchases, maybe newsletter signups or contact forms in terms of you know the conversions that you're looking to track. Um, and then for types of like behavioral metrics or the types of um, events that somebody makes on the site but you know doesn't complete a purchase. So if they're going through the booking funnel and they make it to the checkout page, or they click you know they click the search bar in your in the booking engine, um, or they click on a specific room type or something like that. And, you know, those are the types of actions that you can track uh, within GA4. Um, And then taking some of those um, events and creating or developing custom audiences and segments uh, based on either user attributes or, you know, the events or behaviors that they're taking on your website. Um, So easily, I mean, the first one would be retargeting audiences. So somebody that visits the website doesn't make a room purchase. Maybe you're looking at retargeting people who've signed up for the newsletter or have filled out a contact form that you want to hit with an advertisement um, or just visited your page page at all or visited specific pages on your website. Um, Another attribute or another attribute would be demographics. Um, So no age range um, that you're looking to identify um, device types that they may be using, um, whether they're male or female uh, gender. <clears throat> would be another one um, and then interest-based audiences. So the types of things that people are interested in uh, based on, you know, people that are visiting your website, you know, what have they shown interest in um, on Google? Are, are they in the market to uh, go on a family vacations? Like do they show s- certain types of affinities in their searches and their search history? So like family vacationers, beach, beach vacationers, um, just different, different types of, you know, travel types of uh, travel type, type different demographics um, and those terms and those, uh, interspace type audiences. Um, and so then after you've gone through your events and your conversions and customizing those and making sure that you're tracking those, and then once you've started setting up audiences based off of those events or, you know, the types of audiences or things that people are, um, actions that people are taking on your website, you need to go to targeting campaigns with those audiences or based on those custom events or conversions that you have set up on your website. Um, And so basically you take those and add them to your campaigns, like obviously Google ads um, importing those uh, audiences directly to your Google ads account. And GA4 makes this super easy to do. Now once, as long as you have Google signals applied in your account, um, once once you set up your audiences and GA4, they get automatically um, imported into your Google ads account for remarketing. Um, And so then you can, create Google ads campaigns based on the different audience types that you've created in GA4 to make your um, targeting and your ad copy super granular um, and super specific uh, based on the users that you're looking to target. And then the very end, you know, creating custom reports um, tailored to your specific business goals. Um, And you can do that with the explore reports option, which you can get super granular. I know, I think a lot of our clients have been, or some of our clients have taken advantage of the explore Features and um, you know, use different different uh, visual paths um, based on you know where they are in the booking engine process, you know, where they're dropping off, and things like that. So there's a lot you can do with GA4. It's just going to take some time to getting comfortable with you know like this entire podcast is going to be. It's getting comfortable with the new platform. But yeah, there's a lot you can do in terms of customizing um, within GA4. And I really like this one because. We all love the bag
0: on GA4 because it's new. It doesn't work the way we're used to things working. Things are tracked differently. But the nice thing about GA4 in general is it's a lot more interactive in terms of not just receiving data, but also pushing data back out to other platforms. I mean, like you mentioned, building those retargeting lists and different affinity groups that you can create within GA4 that then help your marketing on a proactive level is a really cool feature that I'd, I'd always question caution people about saying oh it's just ua with uh, a new skin and some new reports it's not it's a lot more than that and it can work so much harder for you than ua could in the past so even though it's a big change it's definitely worth diving into because i think you could find more more room nights by being a little bit more aggressive about how you're how you're using that data all right anything else we want to jump in there on point two or should we just jump on over to the next one all right, so let's do it. So, number three, three, three,
1: three, 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 three. All right, I'll, I'll hit number three. So, number three is tracking your engaged sessions. Um, yeah, so, we're all familiar with what sessions are as a metric Uh, but in GA4 engaged sessions are sessions that meet any of the following requirements so there's three of them having at least one conversion event or more having at least two page or screen views or lasting more than 10 seconds in my opinion 10 seconds isn't that long but I guess if you're considering eliminating like bot traffic or just like quick page loads um, I guess it you know would count, I would want to consider someone that's truly engaged, you know, to be longer than 10 seconds, but those are the actual requirements for uh, triggering an engaged session. So tracking those engaged sessions within GA4 just helps you qualify the value of your content based on how people are interacting with it. So, you know, you can see who is, Interacting with what and how that resonates with them? What's holding their attention? Is your blog content helpful? Is it laid out in a way that makes them want to stay on the page longer and actually consume it versus just one giant paragraph? Are you using like bullet points? Is your photography high quality and enticing enough to make them want to scroll through a gallery and stay on that page a little bit longer? Or did you Uh, entice them enough to book um, that counts as an engaged session as well or fill out a form um, whatever your conversions are set up as on your particular website Uh, so uh, comparing these engaged sessions across different user segments just to gain deeper insights overall and just improve the user experience of your website to continue tailoring that content to what people already want to see
0: so Connor, how is that different? So tracking engaged sessions versus sessions in general, are, do you start seeing some wildly different numbers when you look at those, those two figures? Um, yes, because it ends up being a little
3: bit um, def- Engaged sessions are always going to be smaller than the total sessions. That's just going to be normal. So there's always that difference. But it kind of depends uh, on the month or the, or the client because during like the very busy month especially for us like for travel seasons of bookings the engagement or sorry the engaged sessions are going to look pretty similar to the total sessions but in the off months it's going to be the engaged sessions they're going to look a little worse off if that makes mm-hmm. any sense
0: yeah so so if you had to choose i can only have one point of data on my say monthly reports is it more important to measure your engaged sessions versus your total sessions or do you really have to look at both those numbers separately? Yeah,
3: I think you really have to look at both because I think engaged sessions is a great way to see judge how the engaging how engaging your site is and the activity of the users. But I think you really need to look at also like the people who didn't stay long and who who didn't get engaged to see you have to use both to judge on how the site's doing yeah.
1: yeah, using both would allow you to just optimize those underperforming pages and, and look for improvements. So if there's a particular page that people are hitting and bouncing off of in a way shorter amount of time, you know, look at it. Is there something you can do to improve it? Um, and are you pushing people further down the funnel so that those sessions last longer? Are you including calls to action where it's appropriate on those pages? Um, whether it's a booking or not, you know, if you're writing an article about staying somewhere in a, in a certain city, do you have a link to your rooms page so that you can help them continue to plan their vacation?
0: That's a really good point. Especially on the news and articles type pages, because we've seen it a lot for for clients and, you know, just hotels in general is where quite frankly, the content in the news that they write is pretty crappy. And it might be, you know, one paragraph about, you know, things to do in Orlando. And it's, it's a one paragraph article where,
1: yeah, it's just content for the sake of content at that point, it's not helpful. And we know at this point, there's been several helpful content updates. So that's really what you should be working toward. Um, You know, creating that helpful content in an effort to increase your number of engaged sessions and obviously revenue at the end of the day. But and then even if they do write good content and it's just one massive paragraph, like I know as a user, I'm not reading. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Like, give me some bullet points. Give me some something that allows me to just easily like determine whether or not this information is going to be valuable to me.
0: Good stuff. And I guess it's also great when you're looking at engaged versus unengaged by traffic source and start realizing yeah. that, you know, either organic is failing you in terms of where the, the landing pages are or PPC is not doing what it should, could, or socials not.
1: Yeah. Or are we targeting the wrong people and they may not be qualified? So like, do we have to go after a different group of people or a different set of keywords, whatever it might be?
2: Gotcha. Or, or just looking at device type. I mean, you could, you could be doing okay on desktop, but mobile's completely crashing. I mean, is there something different with the layout or the format of your article or your page entirely that needs to be changed around a bit, where, where you may be getting more traffic via mobile, but your engagement rate is lower on mobile? Um, so yeah. it's something
1: to look at. And I don't want to put Connor on the spot, so I'm not <laughs> going to ask the question. But I would just pose the question, I could Google this after the fact, but I'm betting that you can't change what the requirements are for a user to meet the requirement of an engaged session so like 10 seconds I suggested I don't think that is that long of a time period Um, so like if you wanted to create I don't know some other metric or adjust it to a longer period of time to see who's really engaged with your content um, or your website like is that a possibility type thing but Another. I mean, I can answer that. Unless you I, know the yeah, answer. I can answer that. So
3: <laughs> as far as I know, you cannot edit um, engage se- sessions because it's like a default built-in metric for GA4, right. so you really can't touch it. But on the flip side, you can just make your own using the GTM debugger and yeah.
1: uh, Google Tag, which Manager. would be pretty helpful. I feel yeah. like, like what what is the what's that limit look like? Obviously, we have duration or time spent on site, so is it possible to try and get users to spend more time reading through everything?
0: Yeah. And it, it, if you're doing it on your own, I would imagine that can be pretty flexible. So if you have, uh, you know, your amenities page or a news page or different areas, each of those might be a little bit different in terms of, you know, someone stays on a, a news page for 10 minutes and they don't do anything else. It's fair to say, yeah, that's, he's a pretty engaged user. He read this whole article, (laughs) you know, even even though it was one paragraph, it just took him a long time to read or whatever it might've been. But I think that's, that's interesting.
1: For sure. And maybe even just taking it one step further, if you're, you know, it may not apply to a hotel website specifically, but it could apply to like a travel boom website where someone's coming to the website to learn something or read something Mm -hmm. like that, that would take longer. But anyway, I digress. We'll pass it off to number four. All right, number four, 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 (laughs) four, four,
0: four.
3: four. Okay, so this one's me. So it was, uh, this section of the article was about uh, enabling enhanced events. Um, I like this part of the article a lot because the enhanced metrics option is a great way to have a lot of good metrics uh, turned on for your site without having to do any extra work or coding or any tag setup. All you have to do is just switch the flip Or sorry, flip the switch for whatever metric you want. And some of these are, for example, like page view scrolls, outbound clicks, or even like the search bar to see how many times people use that. So it's a great way to like increase your understanding of how users interact with your site without a whole lot of work.
0: So so that's really super cool because I know with UA, we would always get to those spots where it was like, hey, are we tracking this? And we'd have to go back and be like, no, that's not getting tracked. With GA4, I'm assuming a lot of that stuff is just natively going to be better tracked out of the box? Yeah, it, it's definitely, I think, a
3: lot better than what use a setup was, but some of the time these metrics, because they're so set up specifically by Google and you have to follow one by one when it comes to deploying the GA4 data layer, that sometimes these metrics won't track, even if they're on. So you just have to keep an eye on it, watch it, and test it. So if not, that's where... Google Tag Manager and the GTMs for is for you to build out your site. And then you can just recreate those metrics specific for your site. Yeah.
0: So in, in terms of hotels specifically, because I know that was one of the issues that we ran into in the past is GA4 is more traditional e-com in site versus specifically hotels. Doing all your setups, is there any obvious metric that needs to be kind of factored in here?
3: Factor in from a hotel GA four setup or from Google, you know, wish list that they would implement.
0: Yeah, no, more more from I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, hey, I'm setting up this for a a hotel site and it's not tracking room nights or things like that. Is that the stuff that you can do within Enhanced Analytics, or am I just off um, this?
3: Not, you can't do that in Enhanced uh, measurements? But it is something definitely that is a big key metric you need to be able to pull from your purchases. So whether or not that's just using some simple math, some simple just functions and stuff in your reports, you know, looking at book dates and end dates, or you can just build it out in your data layer specifically to do that for you. So you'll always have that number.
0: Okay. And then I guess it's, it says some of the most common enhanced analytics are like video interactions, scroll depth, form submissions, all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. A hundred percent. Nice. All right. Anything else we want to talk about on the enhanced analytics or en- en- yeah, enhanced con- events world? Um. <laughs> easy, easy
3: for clearly
1: number four was not yours. Peter. No, no, it's okay. Even in <laughs> I'm, I'm-
3: even in GA four, it's like labeled something different than what it was in the article. So it's like they're always changing the names and not telling anyone what it's called.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's no reason Data Studio became Looker Studio for just just to piss everybody off. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right. Well, we can jump on over to uh, number
2: five. Number five is thresholding and prerequisites. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we don't like the word thresholding. No. So, so we're calling it prerequisites from now on? Yeah, so we'll just call it prerequisites. Okay. <laughs> but I actually have to, I mean, I'm going to have to say thresholding again, like yeah. I just did. Um, essentially what that is, is a feature in GA4 that um, is basically there is to protect...
1: Or a bug. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't like it. Yeah, I'd
2: call it a bug. Um, Well, it's there to protect the privacy of site visitors. Um, So Google says that it's applied to prevent anyone viewing a report or exploration from inferring the identity of individual users based on demographics, interests, or other signals present in the data. Um, I don't know how anyone would be able to get any of that data. Just so based off of the numbers they're seeing in GA4, but that's that's threshold.
0: Well, think about it from this way, because I always was thinking of a thresholding as being, we're only going to record, I always got it confused with sampling. You know, if you get 100,000 visits to your site, it doesn't necessarily report on all 100,000, you know, starts doing the sampling or sample data. Thresholding is like the opposite. It's like, so that earlier example we talked about with filtering out internal traffic, Connor comes from Charlotte makes one booking, and that's the only person that day that did that, I can then look at GA4. I could see I had one booking from Charlotte, and I can go over here and look at my uh, booking engine, and I can see, oh, this dude's name was Connor, and he booked a stay. So now I've connected the PII from the booking engine with the web activity in GA4. So my understanding, that's kind of where Google's going from. We're saying, hey, wait a minute. If there's only been a small number of people it's not right for me to give you that data because you're gonna know, you know, Connor's booking way too many rooms.
2: Yeah, and it's J it, four records the data like that data is stored in J four. It's they're just not going to give it to you um, based on the threshold based on how much and of the data they're actually receiving. Um, and so thresholding is only is applied when Google Signals is enabled. Um, so Google S- Signals, which I may have touched on earlier. Um, essentially what that does is collects demographic data and lets properties reuse analytics audiences in Google ads. Um, I think there's a, a couple of other um, items that Google signals also uses or is able to do whenever you enable it. Um, but the big one would be those two demographic data, obviously privacy stuff, and then uh, letting you um, import those retargeting at or retargeting audiences or any audience from GA4 to Google ads. Um, so really I I was digging around and looking at some other articles, and there may be some workarounds with some caveats, um, but essentially, you're not going to be able to get that that data unless you turn off Google Signals. Um, So you're so there's potential that you know you're not going to see you're going to not see demographic data come through through your GA four property. You won't be able to send audiences to Google Ads and things like that if you do turn that off. Um, And that go ahead, Pete.
0: No, I say, and that doesn't necessarily apply. it applies in different areas of the platform. So if I'm looking at overall traffic, th- there may not be any thresholding in place. But then I say, okay, now I wanna look at all my traffic. Now I wanna filter down to Charlotte. Now I wanna filter it down to Charlotte and desktop. Now I wanna filter from there to there to there. And at that point, then you start running the thresholded data because you have such a small data set to start with that it may be fine at the top of that funnel, but when it gets to the bottom of the funnel, then then you get cut off.
2: Right. And so absolutely. I mean, it's going to interfere with custom reporting. Um, and so, I mean, otherwise, you know, either you're going to have to make your reporting a little less specific or granular, or you're just going to have to expand your date ranges for the amount of time that you're looking to report on. Is really going to be the only times you're going to be able to get rid of thresh, thresholding. <laughs> uh, but, <Say> it. <laughs> <laughs> but it can't be adjusted. So, and it's, yeah, I mean, you can't change it. It's going to be whatever GA4 rules. So. so that is thresholding. Now down to prerequisites for predictive metrics and um, audiences. And so I know this was a really exciting um, thing when GA4 was coming out, was predictive analytics and predictive audiences. Um, however, there are pre- prere- prerequisites are required um before you can actually use these metrics or use these audiences in any types of campaigns or reporting, um, unfortunately. Um, I could go through the list. You know, the first one, I, I don't know how well this is going to be attainable for a lot of independent hotels. You know, hopefully if you're receiving, you no, know, maybe it depends on the type of conversion or event that you're looking to uh, report on, you know, maybe not room purchases, maybe something different like leads. Um, However, Google says that one of the main prerequisites for uh, predictive data or seeing predictive data or using that, those metrics is a minimum number of positive and negative examples of purchasers and churned users. Um, so Google says that in the last 28 days over a seven-day period, at least 1,000 returning users must have triggered the relevant predictive condition, which is either a purchase or a churn and at least 1,000 returning users must not, so must do the opposite. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's just one prerequisite that you must um, meet before you can use predictive um, metrics and audiences.
0: So that just goes back to thresholding again, where if it's only Connor in Charlotte, I can't use him uh, for my predictive audiences because it's just one of them. I need to have 1,000 Connors make a booking and 1,000 Connors not make a booking before i can start retargeting the the ones that have not right right that makes sense all right so the very last tip is number 66666666 oh
1: don't say that
2: <laughs> right after thresholding
1: <laughs> jeez all right, number six, utilize the first user dimensions, which is a mouthful. So if I stumble over that one a few times, the first user dimension represents a source or medium that acquired the user in the first session, which provides insight into the channels that users are coming to your site um, first. And you know, typically we report on the session default channel group. So looking at them alongside each other, either in a report or an exploration, uh, you can gain a better understanding of the path from initial acquisition through to conversion. So by leveraging some of that data, um, you can gain a better, deeper understanding of what channels are working best. So I guess Maybe Connor can help us explore this a little bit more. Uh, but if a session is restarted or if someone uh, you know clicks on an ad and then comes back in a different way as a last click, you know, that first user session would be more valuable to understand because you would know what really convinced them from the start. Um, You can also analyze the actions that users are taking during that initial visit to identify potential bottlenecks. Um, Are they getting stuck coming in from a particular source or channel and then coming back in a different way? Improving landing pages and user flows based on those insights, uh, providing a seamless experience and furthering engagement, which we've kind of already talked about. Uh, but overall, just really refining your marketing strategy by aligning with the customer journey uh, from the point of first interaction all the way to booking, in this case, for hotels.
0: So is it more or less just attribution model or is that is? the first user dimension a separate thing then?
1: It's separate. So, I mean, you can choose your attribution model, correct? And then you can look at first session, like first user session or just your total sessions or total users or whatever it might be. All the data exists. It's just a matter of configuring it and looking at all of it together to make sure you can see the path from start to finish from a user.
2: Yeah, that something that's a, separate from this, J4 um, does have an advertising report um, that's pretty handy. Um, you can change the attribution model, and it gives you an idea of a full path from or how how your advertising is impacting um, all other channels. And you know you can change your attribution model uh, within the advertising report um, just as so see how Google attributes conversions uh, or interactions from your um, ad campaigns, whether it be Google ads or maybe email or, you know, whatever, and how those users who click those ads at any point in time before they make a purchase or at the end of the purchase, you know, how Google is attributing um, how much of a conversion or purchase to those uh, specific interactions. So it's a super handy tool to use um, if you are running any types of uh paid campaigns. Yeah
1: that's pretty interesting and I think another example that we've gotten from a client is that people receive an email a marketing email and they do click through it and it it was a successful email in a sense but they booked through another source so they clicked through a paid ad you know a few days later they have this session that has been started from clicking one of our PPC ads and then they end up booking and we're obviously counting revenue for that booking via Google ads or Microsoft ads, but really their first user session was email. So understanding that, you know, what is really, what, what convinced them to even Google the property name and click on the ad, and it, it was the email. So maybe you put a little more thought or strategy behind that channel versus paid ads. and mm-hmm. You know, it's just putting it together as a whole picture versus just that particular session that ended up in a booking?
0: Well, I think you have to look at it, like you said, more holistically, because you know, the, the flip side of that is I ran a PPC campaign. Someone signed up for my email, and I've been hitting with them emails, and eventually they booked. If I look at that just for first, uh, first user, I'm going to say email is not effective. Whereas if I look at it from last click, I'm going to say, PPC is not effective, so you really have to look at you know, different ways of looking at the data before you make any decision like that. Because you don't know what are all those touch points. You know, was it a, a social engagement that drove the email sign up, that drove the PPC campaign click from a search? You know, there's a, a million different ways of looking at it, and then knowing that the data that you get back from ads is not going to necessarily match the revenue numbers from your email platform or from GA4 for that matter, you know, it's, it's all going to be measured on different, I guess, attribution models again. So you kind of have to keep, you know, take all the data with a grain of salt and compare it against other numbers.
2: Yeah. It, it takes some adapting to get used to. I know that's something that we kind of started at least within tra- travel boom in terms of how we're tracking conversions or you no, know, how ads are um, a- impacting other ads within Google ads, because Google ads before they, they they have you know different types of attribution models like last click, time decay, um, and then their newest one is data driven, which they're really pushing. I mean that's going to be the default um, attribution model within Google Ads, um, which data driven is a very like we've been saying more holistic, more you no know, overview of you know how people or users are interacting with your ads. Um, in other channels, um, so you know it's it's definitely something to you know not always to just look at last click. You know, last click doesn't
1: tell the whole story, essentially. So, yeah, and I would suggest obviously like comparing the like channel report, so seeing how that shifts and if there's a trend over a certain period of time, that would be interesting to me. I would imagine I don't have any data in front of me, but I would imagine that your direct bookings would increase, if you're seeing the property, or they would be, they would decrease, sorry. So you would see the property as a first user session in a particular channel, whether it's email, since we've been talking about that, but then in, as a session, if they just come back and type the URL in direct, you would see an increase in direct revenue or direct traffic or whatever the metric is that you're looking at. So, like, picking out the shifts and the trends, I think, would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, we have to, you know, talking about shifts and stuff like that, is we have to change how we think about the data that we have access to. Because, yeah, there's a million different ways of looking at it. In UA, we had less access to you know, some of these formulated reports and, and pieces of data. You got a lot more of you know, number of sessions, number of you know visits versus visitors and all those kind of numbers. This gives you a chance to really dig down into it, but it also makes it more complex. So just know that as you're going into it, that a lot of the times you're gonna be getting two pieces of data that make you ask other questions, which at the end of the day is really what you want analytics to do is to to lead you to the questions that you need to ask. All right. Uh that was all of our six tips. Uh Connor, did you have anything you want to dive into with first user? Are you good to go as well?
3: Um, No, I just want to, other than just giving a little background on how that metric kind of comes about, is that it's using one of the big features that Google has been touting about GA4 is their cross platform tracking. So that's where, how, that's exactly how they're tracking from, oh, if I, on my phone, if I move to my desktop, they're using that through their cross tracking uh, capabilities. So.
0: Yeah, they, they do a much better job of, of figuring out what users, what regards to the device types. So. And it's interesting that Google says, we're not sharing the data, but we still have the data because they're still using it. So. <laughs>
3: exactly. So
0: we, we just don't get it. So they, they don't have thresholding there. Oh, no. They get all the data. <laughs> all right. Well, those are six tips. Uh, more or less, those are, are similar to the six tips on this narrative.bi article that we were reading that kind of spurred this discussion but I think these six that we have here are really designed to help the hotelier get a better understanding of their data and honestly not be so scared of GA4 because once you dig into it, it, it does the same stuff, it just does it in a different way so, so those what we got for today uh, we went through a lot of detail, a lot of very specific steps of how to make things happen so if you want to learn more about it, go to travelboommarketing.com podcast and this is episode 245. So just click on that episode. You'll be able to see step-by-step guide of each and every single one of these things here, as well as something that you can you know, share with your friends and, and make copies of, because it is something pretty important to, to know as we move forward in the world of GA4. So, all right. So that kind of wraps up the main topic. We do have two big pieces of travel boom news. The first one is the 2023 Leisure Travel Trend Study is available for download. It is for the low, low price of free 99. So it doesn't cost anything to download it. All you do is go to travelboommarketing.com study, and you can get a 46-page downloadable report that really digs into exactly what leisure travelers are thinking about in 2023 and the concerns that they're going to have moving forward in 2024. Right now is budget season, so if you haven't started budgeting, you should. And the data in this report will really help make it an easier process. And then the other big piece of news is on October nineteenth, everybody here on the podcast today and a few others are going to be in Daytona Beach for a free little, uh, not even a full day hotel marketing conference. Uh, we start around eight thirty in the morning and wrap up around two thirty. Uh, not only are we going over the, the leisure travels trend study, we're going to be talking about big shifts in 2024 that an independent hotelier or smart small group will need to know about. We're going to be doing a little bit of budgeting as well as having a very, very special guest. We'll have Ed from Flip2 hosting our lunch session, and he's going to be talking a lot about injecting conversation into your conversion funnel and how you can use the power of social media on your guest side to really drive performance. It's going to be a phenomenal event. It's completely free as usual. And if you go, you get a free swag bag with like cups and koozies and, and all kinds of hidden surprises. So if you're in the Daytona area, go over to a slash Daytona beach, all one word sign up for free. It's limited to 50 people and there's some spots left. So go ahead and, Lock in your spot now for a fun and hopefully educational little one-day conference. That's all we have. Uh, hey, if they want to learn more about, about you guys, Alyssa, where could they, they find you? In
1: They can find me on LinkedIn at Alyssa Fate. I didn't confirm. We said this last week. Let's yeah. confirm right now. Well, you had, a, right, you two, had like two my weeks. My name on there or not. Yeah. We did have two weeks. So Fine. The- they could find me easier than Connor. Yeah. 10 times yeah. Okay, so let,
0: let's play that game. Connor, where, where would they find you? Um, they could find... Uh, let me double check
3: for LinkedIn. Because I just... Fun fact, everyone, I had my LinkedIn hacked and I just got it back a month ago. So I'm still changing stuff back. Um, so if you see any weird stuff, I'm just going to add it up to what that. What did they
0: take? Or did they, did, did they do anything nefarious in there? Nothing nefarious
3: other than just deleting all of my uh, skills... And like recommendations that way,
0: <laughs> oh, well, because they had it set up
3: for like a fake medical company. Like they were the previous director of the FDA. Like all this crazy stuff went to Harvard and all this other stuff. So you
0: left that stuff though, right? You just added the the analytic stuff back, but you kept the Harvard and everything. I
3: was tempted. I'm not gonna lie, I was tempted. Yeah.
0: But. <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty funny just to kind of keep that and just make that your new persona. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right. Well, uh, so Jeremy, how could they find you? You can find me at LinkedIn
2: at Jeremy Rizuk. All right. Same thing here. You can right. find I'm
1: now Alyssa oh. Fariska. Sorry, Alyssa I officially Frisca. changed it. Congratulations. Nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, you uh, find Alyssa Fariska on LinkedIn. You can find me at Pete DeMeo on LinkedIn, and then you can find us collectively at TravelBoomMarketing.com. We would love to have your feedback. So. If you're listening on iTunes, Google, Spotify, wherever that might be, leave us a review. It helps us a whole bunch and helps pump our very deflated egos to the point where we get through the day. (laughs) And that's all we got for you today. So if you enjoyed the show, definitely keep on listening. Visit us in Daytona Beach next week and not next week, in about three weeks. And that's all we got for you. So I got nothing else. I see Jeremy and Alyssa just laughing and shaking their head at me not being able to end this episode for some reason what am i supposed to just, do now just keep talking to yourself. all right just keep yeah. talking <laughs> hold all right that's it that's all we got for today. have a good time hotel marketing and we'll be back next week with more tips and tricks to make your marketing even more effective travel boom is we just keep talking more out <laughs>
1: So if we look at new new users only. You're
0: looking at new users?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did say that. I'm I'm, I'm looking at the new (laughs) users.